Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. This is New Books in Science Fiction, the podcast that discusses works of speculative fiction with the amazing and hardworking authors who write them. Welcome to the Music is a Living Thing edition of the show. Today, I'm delighted to have Sarah Pinsker on the pod. She's the author of A Song for a New Day. Sarah is a highly accomplished writer. She's won the Nebula Award and Sturgeon Award for novelettes, but A Song for a New Day is her first novel. Sarah is also a singer-songwriter with three albums, and that's not going to come as a surprise to anyone who's read A Song for a New Day because her book so vividly and realistically depicts the life of dedicated musicians. And now Sarah's on the line with me from her home in Baltimore, and having just finished her book, I'm tempted to say, let's give her a big hand, but since we don't have a live audience, I'm just going to say, welcome to New Books in Science Fiction. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. You've had a busy year publishing-wise. You had your first collection of short stories come out in March, and now your first novel is out, uh, which came out in September. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was a long year <laughs> in, in good ways, but it was, it was pretty busy. Well, h- how are you feeling now? Uh, like I need a little bit of time at my house and maybe in a dark room. <laughs> Um, I, I I did a lot of traveling and uh, and promoting for those two books, and then uh, had to write another book while I was doing that. So it's been a a lot, and I loved every second of it. And also, I'm looking forward to a sort of less travel winter. <laughs> was it just a coincidence that they both came out in the same year? Is it just fortuitous? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are two different publishers who didn't coordinate with each other. And the sales of the books were at pretty different times, but they were on different publishing schedules. So so it just worked out that way. Um, I was happy that it worked out in that particular order. And I was happy that uh, there were six months in between. And I'm really happy with both experiences. It's two different publishers that are vastly different experiences, but they've both been good experiences so far, which is cool. A Song for a New Day is told from the point of view of two characters. And let me just say they have great names. There's Rosemary Laws and Luce Cannon. And to be clear, Luce is spelled like the name L-U-C-E. But true to their names, Rosemary is very law-abiding, and I would say Luce is much more, uh, well, she's much more loose and uh, anti-establishment and rebellious. And I thought a good way of getting into the book would be if you could tell our listeners just a little bit more about these these two characters, who they are. Sure. Uh, well, Luce, I should also say, is is a stage name that she chose for herself, and and that she she's a character who I had worked with before in in my story Our Lady of the Open Road um and and she had been very easy to write so I I, I just wanted to explore her life a little more and that story uh, that story won the nebula is that right uh, yeah yeah so she is a 
she's an up and coming musician at the time that the events of the beginning of the novel happen. And uh, she's sort of at the cusp of something, possibly, like, like who knows, it, it wasn't necessarily going to happen for her, but it seemed like it was going to. And, and then things changed so that uh, touring and promoting music was no longer uh, in a live music setting was no longer a possibility for her. Uh, so she is someone who, who uh, feeds off of live performance. And so, so that's, a, a state of being that she isn't very happy with and a, a status quo that she's not very happy with. And then Rosemary Laws is quite a different person who comes of age at a different time. Yeah, Rosemary is a child of the after. So she grew, she grows up after the events that change things for Luce. And as far as she's concerned, a lot of it is good stuff. So, so it's a, a fun contrast between the two characters in that one of one of them is highly skeptical of everything, and one is curious but also okay with the way things have gone. So, so having two characters with vastly different wor- worldviews is is a great way to to get some some interesting conflict of of the type that I like, which doesn't tend to be, you know, facing off with swords. I, I like when when characters have to kind of deal with both sides or multiple sides of a situation and confront each other. Yeah, and I want to talk about their relationship and their points of view in the story. But before we do that, I thought just to give our listeners a little bit more of a feel for, you know, what this world is like and and a little insight into Luce, I wondered uh, if we could talk about something that does happen early in the book. So I don't think it's giving too much away, but it's a decision Luce makes when she and her backup band at this time in her life when she's kind of an up-and-coming performer and they're traveling around in a kind of crappy van and performing at small venues, but she's got a hit on the radio, and they end up at this classy old cool retro theater called The Peach. And then something happens, and her label wants her to cancel the concert. And it's this really pivotal moment, and it really explains or plays a role in Luce's life going forward, and interestingly, the history of music. So I thought it was worth pausing over maybe a, a moment, if you're okay talking about that. Sure, absolutely. So maybe you could explain why her label wanted her to cancel and how Luce responds to that request. Okay, yeah, so, so that is near the beginning of the book, and uh, the label wants her to cancel because the government has come out with some information uh that they're they're not being clear about the source but they're saying uh th- there's there's been some some escalating violence and then and then they just say we we need everyone to stay home tonight which to me was was kind of reminiscent you know there there's some days i remember after september 11th where you know maybe maybe it was better the the government you you were gonna listen uh, right right at that moment and so people um, so the government says we we'd like everyone to stay home we'd like you know movie theaters and stores and everything to to close down for the night and everyone listens except for 
Luce doesn't really want to, and she's in a position not to. Like the the club is kind of okay with going forward. You know, will they they would have to refund money otherwise? And what if people were already on the way there? And so they they decide that if she's okay with it, they would be okay with it. Like the staff who remain would be comfortable staying there, uh, even though they're being told not to. And so she she kind of weighs the options, and she comes down on the side of that she'd rather make music in a in a bad situation, which is which is generally her mo. Right. She finds a lot of comfort in performing and being with people in flesh and blood in person. And at a, a dire moment like this, she decides this this feels like the right thing to do for even if just a handful of people come up for those that handful of people, it's it's worth doing. Right. This is the moment that before and after you can kind of draw the line. There's a before when people had concerts like this, and then there's an after and, you know, loose sense of finding out that she basically gave the last live concert in the before, right at this cusp, uh, which gives her a, a certain degree of um, fame. And we learn about all this years later because we jump ahead and Rosemary, as you've said, lives in this new world. And it's true. It's funny. It reminded me a little of post 9-11, like her parents reminded me of some of the middle-class people who left New York City right after 9-11. I live in New York City, and my kid was two and a half at 9-11 and uh, around that time. And some people did leave who could afford to because they decided that cities just weren't safe. And And her parents actually moved to a farm, and Rosemary grows up in what sounds like total isolation. I mean, she she lives in virtual reality, as many people do. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what her life is like. And I think I get the feeling she's at one end of a spectrum. But basically, she, as you've said, is comfortable living this way. But she basically knows people through avatars. She doesn't spend time with people in person other than her family. You know, eventually, when she goes out into the world, she doesn't know about the protocol of do you hug someone? And when do you hug someone? And it feels really uncomfortable. And she can't guess people's ethnicities because people in person have such unique visages that they don't conform to the templates of the avatars that she's used to. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about her upbringing. Yeah, so so she is another extreme, obviously. So she, she, as you said, her parents moved out to a very rural area and they they are also not people who are super keen on on the new technologies. So she has this double whammy of like being isolated and then not being able to use the most high tech stuff available. So so she has grown up in a world where like she went to school for the most part in a school subsidized I called them hoodies, the the VR rigs that they they use. Um, she, uh, and and then she got a job working for a uh, large online uh, mega corporation where she does customer service. And so her job is online. Uh, everyone she's ever known, basically, uh, except for like one or two people in town who she doesn't really form a connection with. Everyone is online. There's there's all kinds of ways to interact, and there's all kinds of uh, like, like she's used to all these protocols where where you can know anything that a person wants you to know about them. You know, you can click up that information, and so you don't have to 
guess things about them. Everything from are they sing- like she gets confused whether people are, are hitting on her because there's no there there's a some kind of uh, flag system in place where where you can you know denote whether that's what you're into or not so so there's all this stuff that she's faced with when she actually runs into real people where where the signals just aren't as clear and i had a lot of fun writing for her and writing for that for that online world because it's pretty easy for me to write the this stuff is bad i love live music side of things but I also wanted to make sure that it, it was clear that there are good parts of it as well. So when she goes to her first online concert, uh, her first uh, like v- VR concert, she notices that, that you can click to get uh, subtitles and you can click to get audio descriptive tags and you can click for a vibration boost. So there's all these uh, accessibility things. And in point of fact, uh, live live music in a concert setting isn't accessible for everyone. Like there, uh, one of my favorite venues used to be in the front of a pizza place, and then when they remodeled, they moved their stage to the basement. And I have friends in wheelchairs who can't get down to the basement, so so you know that's one venue that's that they aren't able to get to. But there's a whole lot of places I can think of in town where you have to get up a couple steps to get in. And uh, even if it's only one, that's a barrier already. And there are people who have compromised immune systems or might not have the money to go to a show, you know, or to might not have the transportation to get there. There are all these things that that are barriers that that, uh, you could get over if you had a VR rig. So so I I wanted to to make there some some good points to it as well before saying but you know there's a different thing that you get when you're when you're live and in person you have rosemary and luce kind of embodying these two different points of view because rosemary ends up working for the company that produces these virtual reality shows and brings music to the masses through these virtual reality schemes and then there's luce who she's actually trying to sign up to do this who loves the live performance and wants to continue it. And to her, it represents the world from before and a better world. And so I thought this would be a good time to ask you about your relationship to music. Obviously, you're a singer-songwriter. When did you start playing? And, and do you like traveling from venue to venue? I, I think I saw in your bio that you, you used to do that or you do that sometimes and you do live performances. Do you like it as much as, as Luce does? <laughs> uh, I, I do. I've said a couple of times that I don't think I'm as good as she is, uh, which is which is part of the joy of writing fiction is you can write like, like she's not me and I'm not her. But also I, I think she is. Uh, I got to put the best of my favorite performers into her. I love li- live performance. I do. I um I love the travel side of it, too. Actually, I don't love booking. So what I've been saying, and I, I think I think this is true, is that what I don't love is the music hustle, and I'm still okay with the fiction hustle right now. You know, like like they they seem like different beasts to me, or it might be that I just came in, I made it to a different place in fiction where some of that hustle gets to be shared with other people. But uh, when when I've had people helping book stuff for me in music, then I was way happier to be on the road. But I, I found there was this exhausting cycle where 
you would get on the road and then you because you weren't working on the next cycle you would have like a a fallow season because of of planning things in advance and and I just could never quite get ahead of that and then I had a lot of issues where like my van would break down uh like, like I would have made enough money to get through you know the winter without touring and then the van would break down that type of thing uh, and all my money would go into repairing my poor van and like I, I remember the downsides of it too but but I love playing music with people on stage I love playing for an audience I love I think the the parts of me that are in loose are the parts where the the making a connection with an audience part we're trying to win people over like the where she expresses that i think that's pretty much my my point of view coming through well you capture that so well i mean the magic of a live performance i don't think i've ever appreciated as much as when i saw it through rosemary's eyes who is coming to it first with a lot of anxiety like oh my god i'm in a crowded room and how do i get out and there's too many people and I'm not used to being around that many people. And then she finds her way to this place where she sees the magic of the chemistry between the performers, the audience, back and forth, a kind of wonderful feedback loop. And she comes to appreciate this very ephemeral thing that, that's gone when the performance is over. Right. Yeah, I guess that's my point of view, too. Um, that that uh, transcendent experience. It isn't every show. But, you know, if you're willing to, to get to that point, you you often can. If you want to let a, a live show, show move you, then it, then it probably will. So Luce and Rosemary have something in common, I think. They both were raised in very particular environments and very sheltered environments. And there's an incredibly poignant scene where Luce returns to her childhood home after being rejected by her Orthodox Jewish family for being gay. And I wanted to ask, as a musician who is gay and Jewish, I wondered what elements of that part of Luce comes from your personal experience. That that doesn't come from my personal experience. That comes from uh, reading other people's accounts. Uh, I am very fortunate to have a, a wonderful family that has accepted everything about me, including my sexuality and including my weird decision in college to chase music instead of grad school and and everything along the way so so um so her her experience is definitely not mine in in that regard that's good it's no less poignant reading it in the story it's very well it's very moving so what's the process like for you writing a book versus writing short stories, which you've done a lot of, and this is your first novel, and I would even extend it to writing songs. I mean, they're very different, but I assume there's a lot of similarities as well in terms of the creative process. Yeah, they, a story usually presents itself in a way that you can tell whether it's going to be a story or a longer project or or a song because uh, a lot of songs are stories too, and it kind of depends on on to some degree what it hangs on. Like if it hangs a lot on character, if it needs if it needs a lot of 
background and maybe a story and not a song. A song is sort of an immediate thing. Usually you, you have to kind of hit the meat of it quickly because you have three verses and a chorus, you know, if, maybe a bridge if you're lucky. So, so I, guess, I guess that would be the answer. And a, a novel tends to be when you have a lot more that you want to explore about whatever it is that you're thinking about. So some of the themes of this I explored in that earlier story, Our Lady of the Open Road. And I also felt like I could separately come back to this and that there was a ton of other material in that world to play with. And there were other characters I wanted to follow. So that would be the one answer to that. In terms of process, songwriting, like, like a snippet of something might come to me. But there's this long, complicated, like, evocation that has to happen where I have to sit down and I have to play other people's songs for a while first, usually before I can access whatever it is that I was trying to get to. Whereas a story or a a novel, you kind of know where you are based on where you were the day before. And a story starting from scratch. I usually go for a walk with my dog. And when I come back, I know, like, sort of what the first few paragraphs are verbatim and then I can move from there and I guess that happens with the song sometimes too something gets stuck in my head and by the time I'm home it's all about dog walking really all three of them come down to to walking the dog the magic of the canine yeah so do you ever if you're stuck on a short story say do you ever think well let me sing it or if you're writing a, a song and you're like, you know, this, there's actually too much here. I'm going to write a short story. Like, do they flow into one another or, or does your mind work very separately? Uh, kind of separately. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever, that I can remember, I don't think any of them have actually turned out to be in the wrong medium. Um, they kind of introduce themselves fairly distinctly. I do have a lot of stories with music in them and I know the music. I know how, how the music sounds. I, I've gone out of my way not to make those songs happen in real life, even though I know what they sound like because I don't want to mess with people's mental images of them, but I do know them. So does that mean you wouldn't want a movie made of your books because it would mess with people's mental images? I will, I would probably let that happen, but with the knowledge that it would kind of that that it yeah I mean that that is a a concern I would have but I don't I don't think uh, I think I would let it happen I would be curious. So let me ask you something that comes up now and it sort of overlaps with the themes of your book and I think it affects both writers and musicians singer songwriters the idea of technology changing industries and fields and not just technology but the monopolies like Amazon or in your novel Stage Hollow Live or Super Wally, these big companies that provide everything. And, you know, I think a lot of people would say they're taking away people's livelihoods, but other people might say, but they're making it easier to make a living because you can reach more audiences, you can self publish, you can put things on your songs on SoundCloud. I wonder. As someone who's obviously thought a lot about this and lived it, how you discuss those issues? Well, I think that the uh, universal basic income is a worthwhile thing to introduce to that discussion because it sort of changes the equation. You know, if there aren't jobs available, will there still be a way of 
you know, living. And I feel like we may, we may get there. There, you know, there are experiments going on in, in towns in Canada right now. And Alaska sort of has that with the, with that oil payment that they get. Right. Uh, that residents of Alaska get. So I, I feel like, like that may be a part of the equation that we're not quite at yet. I, I tend to be an optimist and think that in a perfect world, I don't know if we'll get there, but in a perfect world, in theory, there will be enough to go around. And if people don't have jobs, then there will be other ways to make a living and, and because there will have to be. And then people can devote more of their time to other things. And maybe some interesting stuff would come out of that. In reality, I don't I don't know. But I, I, uh, I don't have to live there before before we get there. I can just write stories about it. What can we look forward to next from you? I know that there's a novelette coming from tour.com in the summer 2020. Um, I have a couple of uh, short works coming out next year, at least. Um, I'm dying to write more short fiction, and I, I will have a chance to do that more this year, so I'm, I'm happy about that. And I just turned in another novel about near-future technology and how it affects people on a personal level, which which is kind of my jam excellent and in theory in theory i should have another album out as well um it's it's in the can and i've sworn to myself that that it will happen in 2020 you are busy busy that's nice yeah yeah we'll see (laughs) but um but in theory in theory it's all it's all good stuff to come well thank you so much for coming on the podcast oh my pleasure thank you for having me I've been chatting with Sarah Pinsker about her debut novel, A Song for a New Day, which came out from Berkeley in September. Thanks for listening to this episode of New Books in Science Fiction. If you don't subscribe yet, I have one question. What are you waiting for? And please leave a review, especially if you've been enjoying the show. Our theme music is by Michael Aaron of QuiverNYC.com. But today... We are going to go out with a song composed and performed by Sarah Pinsker, who kindly consented to let us play the beginning of her song, Water Wings. The visionary editor-in-chief and founder of the New Books Network is Marshall Poe. Our perspicacious co-editor is Leanne Wilson. And I'm your host, Rob Wolf, author of The Alternate Universe. You can visit me at robwolf.net and follow me on Twitter at robwolfbooks. Now... Go out and find a good book and enjoy. Steer, Henry, steer. While I figure out what place is here. Bearing straighter goals and get I wish our map would not mislead. At least we got the weather on our side.